0: I'm Bryce Butler from Access Ventures, and this is More Than Profit, a show where I talk with founders, investors, entrepreneurs, and leaders of all kinds about living and working with purpose, how they do it, and why. This week's episode is a special episode in light of COVID-19 and the recently passed stimulus package coming out of Congress. Given the unprecedented impact of the pandemic on our economy, business as we know it, it became important to speak with some individuals that could give us insight on what we should be doing and how we should be thinking about it. And that time is the most important factor enabling our economy to bounce back following the pandemic. With me today are John LaTerry, President and CEO of the Economic Innovation Group, a bipartisan public policy organization headquartered in Washington DC that combines innovative research and data-driven advocacy to address America's most pressing economic challenges. And Ross Baird, founder of Blueprint Local, a platform for investors to intentionally deploy capital with impact in their communities, who in the past was founder and CEO of Village Capital and has written extensively on entrepreneurship and communities, most recently for the new localism. Both of you have written on this topic uh, as it relates to COVID-19, the pandemic, and the impacts on small businesses in America. Uh, You've written on it as it pertains to an appropriate response necessary to support businesses in the midst of it. Uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, what you're seeing. So, John, let's start with you. You've been tracking American dynamism for several years now at EIG, and before COVID nineteen you you've been raising the alarm on the decline of American entrepreneurship. Uh, can you help? Can you help us set the stage for where we were uh, going into the current pandemic?
1: Sure. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, where we were before the pandemic was a an economy that, even though it was in its uh, record expansion. Uh, after the Great Recession, still had not boosted the rate of entrepreneurship back to where it was prior to the Great Recession. So entrepreneurship and uh, business dynamism uh, were some of the key casualties of of the Great Recession and the uneven recovery afterwards. Uh, And that should really concern uh, everyday Americans and policymakers, given that uh, we're already in a depressed state of uh, of entrepreneurship going into this crisis and the nature of the crisis is such that uh, it could do uh, even more severe damage than what we saw with the Great Recession. And a lot of that depends on how policymakers respond. So what, what we saw with the Great Recession was it was the first time on record that the death rate of firms uh, exceeded the birth rate of firms. And that happened for three years in a row. And even once the dust settled and the economy started humming again, the startup rate barely budged from its all-time low. So you saw a huge collapse with the re- recession. You saw very little bounce back. And uh, the numbers, the latest data we have, suggest that the best year since the recession would look like our worst year prior to the recession on record. That's a pretty stark difference and a, a very stark uh, issue in light of how well the economy was doing on other factors uh, beyond entrepreneurship.
0: So, Ross, uh, Ross Baird, you are the founder and... Uh of Blueprint Local and doing a lot of work across the country in communities, specifically in de- depressed communities, looking at ways to, to leverage capital to support low and moderate income census tracts. Uh, in your recent piece in the new localism and also in, in John's uh, several articles on EIG, you both mentioned the current jobless rate, which this past week uh, was at the highest rate ever at 3.3 million Americans filing for unemployment. Uh, but you also mentioned the dire state of Main Street businesses, businesses that generate 50% of jobs in America uh, businesses that you mentioned have maybe 15 days of cash to buffer. What do you, what are you seeing as the current impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic as it relates to small businesses uh, beyond what John was talking about with, uh, with just going into it, the issues that, that uh, businesses were facing in America? Um, what are you, what are you seeing as uh as concern that concern you the most? It's, it's
2: a bloodbath. I mean, I think that the, um, Businesses that run our country, the small businesses, um, which is technically businesses with fewer than 500 people, um, typically um, live week to week or month to month. You know, one one week's revenue pays the rent, and one week's revenue pays the payroll, and one week's revenue pays for all the other miscellaneous things. And so, so, losing even a few weeks of payroll is is devastating to the vast majority of businesses. And so, if we look at um, just never seen anything like a complete and total shutdown of discretionary spending, and so um, not you know we're talking about restaurants, barbershops, shop, uh, hair cutting places, main street businesses, but also um, services businesses, tech companies, and people who work at restaurants spend money elsewhere. So we're we're, we're sucking money out of the pockets of a lot of businesses and people almost overnight. And um, the other challenging issue, and I know we'll talk about this on the podcast, is if you are a big company and you're facing a liquidity problem, it's very easy for the government to, say, write a big check to a big bank. If you're a small business in X, city, in the country, um, even if the government designs um, a very thoughtful small business loan package, and I actually think the package in, in the current legislation is very good and thoughtful, um, it takes a while for that money to find its way in the hands of businesses. So I think, A, businesses are facing a cash problem today, and B, getting relief to businesses is is, is going to take a lot of time, and it's, it's really terrifying.
0: So John, we're, we're talking on a Friday. Uh, just before the House vote on the two trillion dollar package, um, can you can you take a moment for us, real quick, and break it down for our listeners as it pertains to businesses? What what maybe at a high level, what what specifically is in there right now?
1: Well, for small businesses, the centerpiece uh, aspect of the congressional response to the pandemic is uh, a policy called the Paycheck Protection Program, uh, and in broad brushstrokes, what this does is provide. Uh, an emerging emergency lending facility of about $350 billion uh, administered through SBA and flowed through existing commercial banks, credit unions. Uh, it's going to be an expanded pool of lenders than what a typical SBA program would would entail. Uh, but essentially it's a hybrid uh, low-interest loan uh, and grant program. And the idea here, the fundamental goals are to provide um, liquidity to cover short-term operating expenses, and to do so in a way that uh, encourages the business to retain its employees. Uh, So it's a a partial revenue replacement, and to the extent that a business retains its employees, they're getting uh, the grant forgiven, or the the loan forgiven, uh, which in effect turns it into a grant. So so that's good, that's a great start. At $350 billion though, to, to Ross's point, this would have been a great thing to pass three weeks ago before a wave of closures uh, and mandatory shutdowns forced hundreds of thousands of businesses to close their doors, uh, 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 leading to complete dry up in revenue. Uh, you know, evaporation of the customer base. Uh, businesses have fixed costs, so whether or not customers show up, whether or not their their lights are even on, they still have to pay rent. They still have to pay mortgage. Uh, if they're retaining staff, they still have to pay them. There's all kinds of costs that uh, that. Once you're on the clock of not seeing revenue, uh, most businesses, again to Ross's point, uh, have uh, only a few weeks at best of cash buffer. And so, three hundred fifty billion sounds like a huge number, and in any other context, it's an absolutely enormous number. It's far more than SBA does in lending uh, in a typical year. That, uh, which gets to another question about capacity. But the the bloodbath has already started. You know, the house is already on fire. This is not getting ahead of anything. We're way behind. And really, everything that the federal government has done so far in this process has been too small and too slow to account for where we are today, let alone skating to where the puck is going in a couple of weeks. So what we've called for is essentially for Congress to pass this and immediately prepare to pass an extension because uh, I think these resources are going to evaporate in a matter of weeks at most. In fact, I think the big constraint on how quickly they evaporate will be how quickly they can physically be processed through SBA and through the banks. Uh, the demand is going to be overwhelming. Uh, and you can't afford to wait till they've run dry to think about the next step. You have to think about that today, uh, which makes it all the more concerning that Congress is uh, planning to go on a, a month-long recess that so will have them back towards the end of April. I think we're going to need more uh, sooner than that. Uh, but but as a structure, this is a good first step. This is something that's going to provide um, very short-term but meaningful uh, revenue replacement for businesses that have no other alternative right now. And it may well lead to a great many of those businesses retaining employees so that they're not going on to the un- insurance uh, uh, claims.' They're not, uh, they're not having to toggle over to the social safety net because that safety net is being provided directly through their current employer. And you know when you see the the spike in unemployment claims that we've seen this week, you know several times of the previous record, in the state of California alone had more unemployment claims uh, this week than had been the national record prior to it. It's just to put it in the scale that we're talking about. Uh, if you want to see, uh, if we don't want to see more of that, we have to encourage and facilitate businesses maintaining their payrolls and keeping staff. But for some businesses, that's just not going to be enough. They, they're, they need to be flexible to, to navigate this process. So, you know, our view has been you need a, a number of tools you need large scale, and you need as few barriers to entry as possible. And unfortunately, while this is a good step, it really would have been a great step three or four weeks ago in anticipation of what may have been necessary, all these shutdowns and mandatory closures. Weeks behind that, it's really too little too late for a great many businesses that have closed permanently and many others who are right now on life support. So if the cash doesn't get out the door quickly, if you don't have uh, a quick facilitation of this on a practical basis, you know, you multiply the damage that's already done uh, several times over.
0: Yeah. So, John, you mentioned uh, the the navigation of this. Um, I think that's that's going to be one of the biggest issues. Obviously, the timing is off. It should have been done several weeks ago. Uh, but just now, I mean, it's the it's the government and governments are massive bureaucracies. And so, I want to I want to ask both of you. I want to start with Ross, but just what what would you tell businesses? Uh, what are you seeing as as good resources or ways for uh, for businesses to begin to navigate this. Uh, so Ross, we'll start with you. And then John, I'd also like you to answer that as well.
2: Yeah. So the, the very clear, uh, recommendation I've been giving to business owners is, um, any federal relief is going to come through the small business administration. Um, and the, uh, rate limiter I think in helping businesses is how long it will take, um, this pretty understaffed administration to process a lot of loans. Um, so first thing I would do, if you think you do want any of these uh, resources, go to disasterloan.fba.gov um, and work on an application. Uh, the most important thing you're going to need to do in this application is think through the economic scenario that will help you survive. I think there will be an economic snapback. I don't know if it will be you know, six months from now or shorter or longer, but I'd, I'd assume you're not going to see meaningful revenue come in over the next three months. So figure out what it would cost for you to keep your team employed. Um, as the legislation is written, if you keep 90% of your team that you had, or uh, 90% of the payroll that you had as of February 1st, um, any loan you take on will be, um, credited as a grant. Um, and, and project what it would take if, if, if there's no new meaningful revenue with, with keeping the same cost. Um, so SBA loan application is the first place I would go. Um, now, the SBA loan application might be really bureaucratic and confusing. Um, in your hometown, there are small business development centers, minority business development agencies, women's business centers, startup accelerators. Um, the, the capacity of these vary place by place, but I would Google those keywords in your hometown and figure out um, how to get connected. Um, there are also... Um, Specialists who help businesses figure out how to apply for SBA loans, um, they usually do this for a fee, so I make sure you're, you're not getting taken advantage of. But there there are people who, you know, get having having someone, an accountant, or someone who's familiar with the process help you through may, may be well worth it because it is a very confusing and bureaucratic process if you're not familiar with it. So um, there are organizational resources and there are individual resources you might, you might look to through for help. Um, there are also... Um, city programs. Atlanta and Birmingham are two examples of cities that have stepped up with local programs. Um, There are companies like WeFunder and PayPal that are stepping up with working capital loans. Um, The uh, Case Center at Duke University has a guide of all of these programs. There's collectively about $14 in independent programs. So if you Google uh, Case enter Duke University coronavirus small businesses or some combination of those keywords you should be able to to find that pretty quickly as well so there, the encouraging thing I mean John said this package should have been passed three weeks ago and the very discouraging thing is um it, 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 it it's a real apocalypse scenario for small businesses the encouraging thing is um, seeing a lot of local and private sector and federal efforts come together and I I, I just I think those of us who are in the middle of this need to do the best we can to help help entrepreneurs
1: navigate and wayfind through what's out there. I think Ross put it really well. That one thing I might add on a practical level is to talk to your existing commercial lender and uh, make sure that they're they are aware and that they're prepared uh, for what they need to do. And you know, if you're a business, you want to be first the first call from your lender when uh, they're able to actually process. Uh, these applications. R- right now, they can't. Uh, the day after they pass the bill, they won't be able to. There's still guidance that has, SBA has to provide and new forms that have to be created and all that. So there'll, there'll be something of a lag time, hopefully not too long, but it's not too early to start reaching out, I think, to your lender now to say, hey, I know this is coming. I intend to apply. What can I do to expedite the process? How quickly can you reach out to me once uh, once you're able to, to process the uh, the applications? And just start to prime the pump. Uh, I know that that's uh, something that a lot of businesses I've spoken to are doing and uh, would be at the top of my mind if I were uh, anticipating applying for these loans.
0: We've talked about it. the jobless rates at an all-time high. Uh, SBA is operating, uh, really, I mean, I think one of the major critical pieces with this is they're operating at a 60% staffing capacity. So a major portion of, of the bill is for them to staff up, which if you're an employer, you know how long that takes. Uh, there's also the, the cash crunch that the small businesses are facing. So, really, you boil it down, there's there's a major issue of time uh, that we've been highlighting. Uh, you mentioned this should have been passed three weeks ago. Um, so, time is not something that we have. But uh, and and Ross, you mentioned a couple of examples. But if, for both of you, what I'd like to to get at is what what should communities be doing um, as a response to this, recognizing, um, that the SBA is a thing, uh, the, the stimulus package is, is a thing that, that's there, but, uh, we don't have the time. And so what should communities and regions and states be doing right now, uh, in, in support of, in conjunction with, alongside of, uh, what's been passed by, um, by Congress or what is being passed. So I'll start with you, John. Uh, do you have any thoughts on, on what communities should be doing right now?
1: Well, I'll start with one of the challenges, which is that, uh, states and cities are going to face a massive, a massive budgetary shortfall of their own as a result of this crisis. Uh, so you've got really a perfect storm here of cascading problems that lead to, uh, a constrained ability to respond at any level except the federal level, right? Uh, because of the, the fiscal and monetary resources of the federal government, uh, that don't translate perfectly to state. So, uh, not to duck your question, but I, I think there's very, there's relatively little that states and, and cities can do unless the federal government is doing all it can do. And I think we're on the path now to seeing some of that take shape. Uh, in the meantime, uh, as Ross mentioned, you've got the, the ability to provide, <laughs> for, when you t- talk about small businesses and startups, uh, a little bit of liquidity, a little bit of, uh, kind of working capital can go a long way when you're in a triage situation where... Really, you're just, in this case for small businesses, you're trying to survive long enough to receive the loan that the federal government may, may be providing. Uh, and weeks really do matter uh, in that context. So it, it, as, a, as a state or as a city, uh, as you've seen some do, uh, providing that kind of uh, short-term capital, uh, really making it as easy as possible in the form of a grant, uh, would be the first thing that I'd be thinking about is where do we have capacity um, as a municipality, as a county, as a state? Uh, to to be able to provide that kind of um, bridge financing that allows just businesses to operate and maintain some kind of footprint. Uh, And this is really important, I think, taking a step back because the more of these businesses that survive, the stronger the recovery is going to be once the crisis is over. Uh, Right now, we need an economic slowdown uh, in order to fight the fundamental problem, which is the the virus itself and and the health situation. Uh, But if we want the step back, that should typically follow a very sharp recession, uh, you have to have employers that have survived the storm and able to to have that kind of quick uh, response. So, so it may be a short-term pain for uh, for the state and local level to be providing that kind of uh, uh, liquidity at a time when they know their budgets are going to be constrained. But it's it would be penny-wise and pound-foolish to not make the upfront investments and expenditures that enable a strong recovery uh, for fear of overspending now. Uh, because, again, you want a tax base, you want revenue to come in as a state six months from now, a year from now. That's predicated on there being a strong business community that survives. It's predicated on people being able to go back to work, earn a living, and pay taxes. Uh, th- those are all things that you know flow together. And so the upfront exercise of making sure that as many local businesses survive as possible especially as they're waiting for additional federal federal support to come down the pipeline i think that's one of the best single places for uh, states and cities to be focused right now
0: ross I, i'd love to turn to you on this as well but i'd also like you to um, to speak to to some of the some of the banks and the venture capitalists the investors out there as well um, you know there's good and bad actors in, in every season but what what should what should they be doing as well? So what what could we recommend to communities, cities, say, states uh, as a response to support some of these efforts uh, for a, for a good economic bounce back once the pandemic passes? But but what should banks be doing, uh, and what should they not be doing? What should investors be doing as it relates to supporting the the companies they're already working with?
2: I mean, I think one of the things that people should not be doing is, is looking at ways to. Uh, make money off of other people in this crisis. I think that, um, you know, hearing about private equity firms, looking at opportunities to, um, capitalize on people's misfortune, I mean, those, those things are just, just not what we need as a society. I think that if we as a society and we as a business community that success over the next six months as survival, um, from a public health crisis the survival of as many people as possible. We want to keep people safe and healthy. And from a business perspective, the survival of as many businesses as possible, um, that would be a good North Star to go by. So if you are a bank, uh, this is not the time to think about how do we make as much money as possible off of our commercial lending portfolio? How do we use our balance sheet um, and, and and the very generous support we're getting from the federal government? Um, how do we use our balance sheet to keep as many of our customers and as many of our potential customers alive as possible. Um, in some cases, both literally and and as a, as a liquid business. Um, if you are a business owner thinking about the survival and health of your employees, I think one of the uh, most important things about the, the relief package passed through Congress is the intent is if you are an employer and you keep your employees on the payroll, um there is a mechanism for you to get relief if, if, if maintaining the livelihood of your coworkers is, is the most important thing that is something that's designed to reward you. So I would say, um, can we mobilize economic development resources, bank resources, and kind resources to keep our existing employers alive over the next six months? Because um, I, I completely agree with what John said. Uh, the cost of shutting down and starting back up a business particularly among business owners of color, particularly among distressed communities, particularly in places that are hard to sit, is much, much higher than the cost of, of keeping businesses open and having them survive. So, you know, how do how do we survive public health-wise as a society and how do we have as many businesses survive the next six months as possible is, is, is really what we should be thinking about.
0: Yeah, and one thing, Ross, that I really... Um... I really appreciated about your article in, in particular was um, you you mentioned not just the economic impact, uh, but the emotional burden uh, that this has placed on business owners and and employees. Uh, I'm curious if uh, if there's any anything that you're seeing to address uh, this aspect or anything that might be recommended uh, in light of this crisis for for business owners. Is there anything as a, as a nation as communities that we should be considering, as it relates to the to the emotional burden uh, that this places on on many of our citizens
2: yeah um you know yesterday andrew cuomo and his daily press conference said something that i think is it really resonated with me he said facts are sometimes uplifting uh sometimes discouraging but always empowering um and you know I own a business. I have a team. I've had very intentional conversations with my team members around best case and worst case scenarios for our business over the next six to nine months. Um, and if you think no one's job is at risk, uh, I think laying out to your team that fact, you know, what your monthly burn rate is, what your monthly revenue is. Uh, and that will be encouraging. If you see 3 million jobs are lost and you work for a company, your your first thing is, am I next? Um, if you think that in order to survive, you might need to cut hours, you might need to cut payroll, you might need to you know, move some people from five days a week to four days a week, or you might need to do furloughs, or you might need to lay people off. I and mean, that's awful, but that's reality. And it's better, I think, to be honest and direct about it. I think, um, the facts of the current crisis are not good. Um, but the more you as a business owner can be honest with yourself and your team and say, listen, here are three scenarios. One scenario we're back to business in early June and everyone's fine. Second scenario, we're back to business in the third quarter and we're worried, but here's what our plan and third businesses might take 12 to 18 months before we have a vaccine. And here's how we're thinking about it. Um, you know, that, that that might be a really good exercise to go through and have um, individual conversations with you know each of your senior management or each of your team members, depending on how you run your team and how big your company is. I think um, just get a grip as quickly as possible as a business owner on the facts and be as uh, direct with your uh, employees and your coworkers with the facts as you can. And it, it's, it's an empowering situation for everyone.
0: Yesterday, um, Yesterday, I read a really good post from David Brooks in the New York Times, um, and it was titled The Moral Meaning of the Plague. And I'm, I'm gonna read a couple of the paragraphs um, and uh, then, I'll, then I'll ask a question. So he said, this particular plague hits us at exactly the spots where we are weakest and exposes exactly those ills we had lazily come to tolerate. We're already a divided nation and the plague makes us distant from one another. We define ourselves too much by our careers and the plague threatens to sweep them away. We're a morally inarticulate culture, and now the fundamental moral questions apply. In this way, the plague demands that we address our problems in ways we weren't forced to before. The plague brings forth our creativity. It's during economic and social depressions that the great organizations of the future are spawned. So I just love those couple paragraphs in the midst of his, of his short article. But uh, so, so many of the issues that we've talked about uh, just in this short podcast, uh, but also that you guys have been speaking on and writing on over the past several years are now, uh, really heightened. Um, it's more like an X-ray, if you will, on our current culture, uh, heightened as a result of this pandemic. So talk to me a little bit about what, what can we learn, uh, through this pandemic? Um, how, how can this, or how will this, uh, change the systems, uh, in light of this pandemic? What, what can we hope to come out of this, um, as a, as a stronger nation, uh, more focused, uh, on the things that, that should be in focus for us as, as a community. So John, I'll start with you. What are some of your thoughts is what were the lessons that we should be learning and, and where can we go as a nation from this?
1: That's a really big question. I mean, I would start with, uh, I, I know that I'll never wash my hands the wrong way again after the <laughs> It only took me 38 years to learn how to wash my hands properly. Um,
0: apparently it's the happy birthday you know, song twice.
1: <laughs> that's right uh all right. so uh, i thought about this a lot as well and i uh, one of the books that's come to mind um constantly for me during this process is the uh, the book tribe by sebastian younger which is a a really short book uh if listeners haven't read it uh you could knock it out uh, in an afternoon easily uh and it's kind of an extended meditation on on the on what motivates us as people and how we relate to each other and how we relate to purpose and adversity. And a lot of the book is about uh, this question of uh, what adversity, what adversity does to people and communities, And, uh, and he focuses in particular on the London blitz and uh, some of the concerns that folks had going into that uh, in the British government about what that would mean for, uh, for suicides and uh, for depression and for all kinds of other, uh, social ills. And while well, obviously it was a terrible thing to go through, uh, a lot of the documentation at the time, uh, suggests that, uh, people felt a sense of purpose in that crisis and a sense of community in that crisis that they didn't feel during normal times and that that allowed them to, to tap into something, uh, deeper and more profound. And, and that, that was, uh, one of the surprising outcomes. And, and he, and he ties this together with a number of other uh, crises and, and pandemics and other things that have happened in the past that uh, brought out similar um, characteristics in, in affected community. And I think one of the challenging things about this one is that uh, as opposed to the past uh, challenges, this requires us to physically stay apart, uh, at least for a time, in a way that uh, interrupts some of that social cohesion that has been so essential to navigating past crises and, and, uh, and helping people come out intact uh, but, I, but I think it's – so that's, the, that's what's unique and challenging about this. What I think is uh, hopeful about it is that it's uh, – what, what I would hope uh, in part comes out of this is a, a renewed sense of appreciation for the importance of social capital and what it means to have uh, neighbors in a community and a, uh, you know, a, a broader sphere that you depend upon and who depends upon you. And that is what gives us a sense of purpose uh, in this world, and that's uh, part of what animates the way that we go about our daily business. And so I think Brooks is on the right track with uh, how he described that, that this is a, obviously a chance of uh, a time of great upheaval, but it's also a, a time where all of us are having to step back and reevaluate what matters and how we navigate life and how we support each other. Uh, and so there could be something very profound that comes out of that. And I would hope, I hope it's, uh, that, that extra time of reflection and that the adversity that this creates uh, motivates us all to do, to do more when the crisis is over. Uh, to to build a more resilient and durable uh, social capital in our country
0: ross i'll uh, I'll turn that same question to you. what are you thinking uh, as it relates to the systems and um, and how can we how can we look to the future beyond beyond the pandemic?
2: you know we're we're big question we're talking about this in context of the economy and I remember as an undergraduate um, as an undergraduate, I took a you know, introduction to economics course, and the professor on the first day said, "Every decision you make in life is a combination of values and information." Um, in this class, I can teach you information, um, but I can't. I can't teach you values. That comes from your friends, that comes from your family, that comes from your uh, religion and the way that you worship. Um, that that's how values are shaped. Um, and he said, you know, there are some people who will say, uh, the economic information is values, And I want to tell you that's not the purpose of this class. The purpose of this class is to arm you with information. But if you make, um, economic goals your values, uh, I think, I think we're all in trouble. And it is, um, very, very clear over, uh, the last generation that uh, American society has really um, unhelpfully conflated, I think, in a lot of ways, economic goals with values, And I think we're seeing some really, really uh, blood-curdling things of people saying, you know, we're going to let millions of Americans die and that's worth it to save the Dow Jones and to save GDP. And it makes me wonder, you know, what, what kind of a society are we where, <laughs> you know, a stock portfolio is worth a human life? And so my My, uh, observation is we have reached a point where, um, we've, we've, we've lost sight of in, in a lot of cases, common decency and how we evaluate each other, uh, and how we value each other, um, in service of greater economic goals. Um, and I think that, uh, I hope that time at home, time with uh, time with friends, time with family. I mean, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old who, fortunately, I think, doesn't really understand what's going on, but he thinks this is the greatest thing in the world because he gets to spend every day with his mom and dad who are normally off working long hours, and, and he's in daycare. And I think there's something really special about that, and that's, that's time that I will never get back. And So I, I, I think that we have this, uh, particularly when it comes to the economy, this values of information um, out of balance, and I, I, I hope it leads to a reconsidering of that balance because we, we are very, very much out of whack and extremely fragile as a society and, and, this is, and fragile things get broken. And I think we're, we're broken, but there's, there's an opportunity for regeneration.
0: If you're a business owner and would like to learn more, make sure you're talking with your bank and head to sba.gov slash disaster assistance to begin the process. Follow along with John at eig.org and both of them post extensively on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to this special episode. If you've liked what you've heard, drop us a review, subscribe, and stay tuned for our next episode. Check out our work at accessventures.org. I'm Bryce Butler. Thanks for listening.